Hi everyone and welcome to our third official UFile podcast, Your Taxes Your Way. Uh, welcome Jerry to the floor. Hi. Hi Jerry, how Hi, are Lisa. you? Hi Lisa, not bad, not bad. What are we going to be talking about today? So today is going to be another interesting one. Okay. okay. So we spoke about, well, I'm going to put it this way, okay? In the last session we spoke about, you know, couples. Yes. In this session we're going to talk about real estate. Okay. Now why do I link them together? Because and now I'm going to sound really harsh now, uh -oh. unfortunately. Uh -oh. You know me, right? I'm old-fashioned. Yes. I might say these could be the two worst financial decisions you can make in your life. <laughs> not having the right spouse, not having the right home, right? <laughs> so it's, it's kind of like a theme. You know, I think I think for me at least okay. it's a theme. Okay, we're on you know? a positive theme on this Monday afternoon. We're on a Monday positive afternoon. theme. So, you know, the lesson here, get get the right spouse, get the right home, all right? <laughs> and financially, you will be fine for the rest of your life, you know? And that's essentially what it is, really. But, you know, in all, all kidding aside, I am kidding here, um, <laughs> what we're we're going to talk about is real estate, which is really the most important financial decision you can make, right? Absolutely. In your life, you know? Right. Uh, all kidding aside, you know, a vehicle, for example, we spoke about vehicles, which yep. are also big purchase, big ticket purchase items. Yep. Now, real estate is your biggest purchase item, right? Exactly. Your that first you home. Have. Your first home as a couple married together. Exactly. Well, exactly. So that's huge. You know, that's a big decision. But a lot of people are not necessarily aware what the tax incidences are right. when it comes to buying real estate, when buying a home, you know? Mm -hmm. So how, you know, how do we handle, for example, the expenses that we have in our home, you know? Right. Uh, you know, how do we handle the purchase of the home? You know, mm -hmm. what are the tax consequences of these things? Right. So that's what we're gonna look at. And, and the way we're gonna do this, that we're gonna split it up into three general segments. Okay, what are they? At the level of purchasing your home. Okay. So when I purchase my home. The exciting part. The exciting part, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What does a tax code give me, you know, when I purchase my home? Then the part of owning the home, mm -hmm. can I deduct everyday expenses that I have for my house? You know, what circumstances can I do this? That's okay. And, and we can actually, okay. but very limited. And okay. we're going to see that. Remember, you know, government is not there to give you freebies here, right. you know? Right. So they're, they're very strict as far as the rules. And then we're going to look at selling. Okay. okay, what are the tax consequences when I sell the home mm -hmm. at the end of the day, okay? okay. Uh, if I decide to move somewhere else or if I decide to rent or whatever I want to do, okay? Or well, what happens? Retirement homes. Or you go to retirement, you know, let's say you want to sell and you go to Florida finally, yeah. you know, or you go to Arizona, which depending on the part of Canada you're in, you know, what happens, okay? Right. What's the tax consequence in that scenario? Okay. So let's start with the purchase, all right? Okay. So like you said, the great news, right? Hey, I just purchased my Sign first the papers. home. Stamp it off. Sign the papers now. You're a homeowner. You own this, right? This this now piece of real estate belongs to you. Right. So what does the tax code offer you? Well, there's really two things at, at the moment of purchase, okay? Mm -hmm. So the first one is before you purchase, yes. you can borrow money in okay. a sense from your RSP, okay? okay? And this is what we call the home buyer's plan. Okay. 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 And that's what it is. That's really what it is. You are essentially, your lender becomes your RSP account, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. You're borrowing money from your RSP account to put to a down payment of your home. Okay. Okay, so that's essentially how, what the home buyer's plan is. Okay. So when you found the home of your dreams, yeah. you're about to sign the documents, instead of uh, you know borrowing the, you know, the entire amount, you can grab a certain portion. Right. So in past years, you were allowed $25,000. Okay, that's a decent plan. That's pretty good, and actually just went up. Actually, okay. with the last right. budget announcement that the federal government just made, now we can go up to 35,000. Wow. That we could grab from our RSP account and deposit it into a home, okay? Into the down payment of a home. Right. But of course, remember, you know, that when it comes to taxes, the government will not make it necessarily easy for you to do this. <laughs> and, and there are, of course, criteria. There's right. rules to this, right? The rule is the government wants to make sure you are a first-time homeowner. 
Okay. Okay. Now to the government. Yes. Okay. To the government. You are a first time homeowner mm -hmm. if you or your spouse. Right. Okay. And I specify or, and I'll get to that in a minute. Uh -huh. Okay. If you or your spouse did not own a home mm -hmm. in the last year. Okay. Or in the last four years. Okay. Four years prior. Right. To the purchase year. Okay. okay. So as long as you meet that criteria, and again, this is a home that you resided in. Mm -hmm. Okay. So as long as you meet that criteria where you didn't own a home you resided in this year and the past That's four right. years, mm -hmm. which means five years realistically. Right. Okay. Then, uh, then you are considered a first time homeowner. Okay. Okay. To the government, which means you're now eligible for the home buyer's plan. So if you bought a home, but you didn't reside in it, you rented it out, then you would still be eligible. You would still be eligible under normal circumstances. Okay. okay? okay. So, so, but again, this would be a home you resided in, okay, okay. that you lived in. Perfect. All right. So, so as long as you didn't reside in it, then you are entitled to that home buyer's plan withdrawal. Okay. okay? So from here now, mm -hmm. okay, why I mentioned or with the spouse, that's right. important because there's such a term called and here, uh -oh, brace yourself, okay. contamination. Contamination. Contamination, <laughs> believe it or not. I mean, you know, accountants really come up with some really nice terms here, and lawyers, right, and tax lawyers as well. Yeah. Contamination. That's not the official term, okay? Okay, okay? This is the common term that most accountants and tax lawyers will use okay. for if your spouse doesn't meet the criteria. Okay. Okay, so what happens is, let's say you or your spouse, right, you buy this home, but let's say you meet the criteria, mm -hmm. but your spouse doesn't meet the criteria. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I've got some bad news for you. It's right, you can't? You cannot pull out of the home buyer's plan. Oh my goodness. This is one of the myths. You know, it's like, oh, it's okay, one of us is eligible. Right. Wrong. Your spouse has just contaminated you. <laughs> All right. That's the reason why you have to marry the right person. <laughs> right. Not only for tax and for tax purposes, not only for tax purposes, no, but, but, but as you can see, for tax purposes as well. Yeah. Because now, so you know, when you could you imagine the first date you go with your with your new spouse? Hey, by the way, have you owned a home that you've lived in, <laughs> in the last five years? I mean, that'd be a great that'd that be a would. great question to that ask, would. right? That'd be a great question to ask. So. So that's the that's the home buyer's plan, okay? So as long as you meet that criteria, you yes. or your spouse, again, very important, remember the contamination part, okay, then you are entitled in this case, okay, to, 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 to the home buyer's plan, okay? okay. You're entitled to pull out, in, the, in essence, borrow from your RSP account. Okay. Okay, now, what happens, but remember, you're borrowing. Right. Okay, it doesn't mean you're getting money back and then you do nothing with it, you get, you get it for free. Because <laughs> right. remember, the, the, withdrawal, the withdrawal you make from your RSP is tax-free when you right. withdraw it, okay? Normally, if you were to pull out of your RSP account at any other circumstance, mm -hmm. then you, then that's income on your return. Right. But under the home buyer's plan, it's exempt. Okay. okay, so it's not income on your return. However, it's a borrowing, which mm -hmm. means you have to pay it back. Yeah. So the government says is, you have a two-year grace period to okay. start paying it back. So which means that if you pull it out this year, yes. you only need to start paying it back as of two years from now. And when you say start, you don't have to pay the full amount back? Exactly. It'll be in increments. It'll be in increments. Okay. And the increments are 15. Okay. So you have 15 years to pay back your loan. Oh, okay. Okay, which is great. Yeah. I mean, that's a really okay. good deal. When you think, and on top of it, you get a two-year grace period. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, yeah, it's, it's a really nice deal that the government gives you, okay? Now, so basically your payments are 1 15th mm -hmm. of your withdrawal. Okay. Okay. And the way you pay back yes. your home buyer's plan is by making a contribution to your RSP account of the 1 15th amount. Okay. Okay. So you have to essentially recontribute mm -hmm. to your RSP by the amount that you're required to do. Okay. Okay. And the requirement is always posted on your notice of assessment. Okay. okay so when the document comes in from the government telling you what the result of your return is, mm -hmm. that document will tell you what you're required to do. 
Okay. okay what you're required to pay back. Right. Okay. So as long as you contribute to your RSP, there's no tax consequence. Okay. Okay. One fifteenth of the amount you paid back. So mm -hmm. that's great. And yeah. that's, that's a really nice deal. Now let's say I'm bad here and I don't do that. I say, you know okay. what? Yeah, what's called? I'm not going to pay back my RSP. Okay. I pulled it out. I just pulled the fast one on the government. What happens? Um, what happens is that that one fifteenth becomes income on your tax return. Uh huh. So you're charged now a tax as if you withdrew the money under a normal circumstance instead of a home buyer's plan. Okay. 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 So unfortunately, you'll get taxed on the income. Okay. okay. On that one fifteenth. Okay. So right. it's important to pay back to have a plan mm -hmm. to pay back your RSP. Yep. Okay, but you know, try to maximize this benefit. Okay, yeah. remember, under you know, if you do everything right with home buyer's plan, there's no tax consequence, you know, oh, whatsoever. Interesting. But if you don't, mm -hmm. now you're going to start paying tax on the one fifteenth of the of the withdrawal every year. Right. Okay. If you don't pay back your RSP. Okay. Okay. So that's the home buyer's plan. Now the nice the nice part about this as well is that once you're eligible for the home buyer's plan, well now you're eligible for a tax credit. Okay. And that's your home buyer's amount. Okay. Okay, and that's a $5,000 non-refundable tax credit. Amazing. Amazing, but don't get hooked up, on, no? don't, don't, don't hang up on the $5,000 figure. All right, all right. In actuality, what you're, what you're getting is 15% of that amount as a credit to reduce your federal tax. Okay. And that's $750. Still not insignificant. No, no, I mean it's a nice it's amount. It's better than nothing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you get so the moment you're eligible for the home buyer's plan, mm -hmm. you're eligible for the home buyer's amount. Okay, because they go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. The criteria is exactly the same. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So there's really no difference between them. Okay. So that's great. So when you're buying the so so the government is really trying to help you out. You have right. to really buy that first home you're going to reside in. Remember, you have to live in it. Right. It can't be a rental property. You're not you're not eligible for the home buyer's plan if you're pulling if you're borrowing from your RSP. Right to buy a rental property because a rental property is making income for you. Right. So the government's not going to give you a tax break for a property that's going to make you money. Okay. Right. They're only going to give it to you for a property that's not giving you money right away. Okay. okay? We're going to see later on, it might give you substantive money yes. when you sell right later okay. on, especially if the real estate market is great. Okay. Mm -hmm. But we're going to get to that later on. Okay? okay. In the podcast. All right. So we've seen now what the tax act gives me mm -hmm. when it comes to purchasing a home. Right. What happens when I'm owning it now? Yeah. Okay, as I'm owning it, can I deduct everyday expenses? Let's so, hope so. so let's hope so, right? I mean, there are some you can okay. under certain circumstances. Though. Okay. Okay. So, what are some examples? Well, I can think of mortgage interest, mm -hmm. right? I mean, mm -hmm. I'm, I, I borrowed the money. Chances are, mm -hmm. unless you know I'm filthy rich and I just you know pay these homes cash. Right. I doubt that. I doubt that with that uh, you know, <laughs> and I doubt the majority of our audience is in that level. Um, so, you chances are you took a mortgage with a bank. Well, the interest you pay on that mortgage you know, it is an expense to you. Yes. Okay. It's an expense to you. Uh, other, you know, maintenance mm -hmm. repairs, mm -hmm. right? Uh, property taxes, uh, okay. depending on where, you know, depending on the municipality you and you can have school, school taxes, taxes as well. Yeah. Right. So, so all these expenses are everyday expenses that you have for your home. You also have your hydro, uh, you know, your electricity, mm -hmm. your heating, etc. You have all these expenses, right? Can I deduct these? The answer is always, and remember this, this is always the answer, the universal answer to every tax question. It depends. It depends. Okay. It depends. Okay. That is always the answer. All right. Anybody who gives you a definitive answer, taxes wrong. <laughs> the first thing that they should cut that should come out of their mouths is it depends. Okay, that's and, fair. And basically, it depends on if you are making income out of that property. Mm, okay. So, in other words, all these expenses I've just listed for you, under normal, with the exception maybe of hydro and and a few other utilities, you, normally you wouldn't. Uh, 
All these expenses you would normally deduct if the property is making you income, okay. which means rental income. Uh -huh. okay. okay, so okay. No, under normal circumstances, right. if you are making income out of that property, well, your, your mortgage interest becomes deductible now, your property taxes become deductible, uh, you know, your school taxes become deductible, any maintenance and repairs that you have on the house become deductible as well, mm -hmm. and you can even depreciate your home. Okay, oh, you're okay. allowed to, just like we, what we saw with car expenses, yep. right? You're allowed to depreciate a certain percentage. Right. Okay, and, and, and it's around 4% mm -hmm. at last, the last uh, what's called, the, at the last budget. Now, there were some, there were some changes where they accelerated the uh, depreciation. I'm not going to get into that kind of detail. No. We're just talking about 4% usually per year of the value of the property. Right, okay? right. That becomes, that's the wear and tear of the property, okay? okay? okay. That's depreciation, all right? So, you're allowed to deduct these under, as a rental property. Okay. Now remember, this is now the portion that you're renting. If you're renting a portion of your home, well then you have to now prorate those expenses mm. based on the portion that you're using. Okay. Example, you know, I own a two floor house. Yes. And I'm renting out the top floor, mm -hmm. okay? So that means 50% of the home is being rented. Mm -hmm. So all these expenses I just mentioned right now, I'm right. allowed to deduct at 50%, okay. at half, that okay? Sense. That's what I'm allowed, because that's the half that's making the income, right? Right. That's how it works, okay? So this is what we're talking about with rental expenses. Now, let's take something like uh, like the sharing economy, okay. like Airbnb, for example. Right, well, everyone's doing Airbnb now. A lot of people are doing it, right? It's so easy to do, yep. you know? I mean, you just get the, the app. app. If you've got a spare room that you're not using very often, or let's say you've gone on vacation for a month, mm -hmm. you know, why not rent out your home, right? Yeah. Well, those now those expenses become deductible. Mm -hmm. But again, you have to prorate on the portion of the home you're renting. Right. And for Airbnb, you have to do a second proration. What's the second proration? The second proration is on the number of days you rented the home as well. Okay. Because a normal rental property, take my example of the second floor, mm -hmm. okay, that portion of the property under normal circumstances, I, I rent the whole year. Right. Okay, so that, so there's no, pro, the only, my only proration is on the 50% of the actual space of the house, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But if I'm renting a room and I only do this for a certain number of days, mm -hmm. well, I can't say, well, that room represents one fourth of my house, <laughs> so I'm gonna deduct one fourth of my expenses. Okay. Because you're not renting it the whole year. No. Now, maybe you are. Maybe you're actually using Airbnb for that room the whole time. Yeah, it depends. It depends, right? Exactly. There you go. There's the answer, right? It depends. Right. Okay, so you're going to have to do two prorations in that case. Mm -hmm. You have to prorate on the portion of the home that you're actually renting under Airbnb. Right. And on the time that you're renting the air, uh, that, that room to Airbnb. Right. Okay, to an Airbnb customer, okay? Mm -hmm. So there's two prorations in that case. Okay. And here's the other tricky part. All right. You have to be careful what you offer as a service. Why? When you're Airbnb. For example, let's say you actually do laundry service for these for these customers. Okay. Okay, and you make the beds as well. Yeah. Maybe you make a breakfast for them too. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? Now you have a hotel business. What? You're no longer just renting your home. Okay. You have a hotel business because you're offering services. Okay. If the only service you offer is to just make the room available, right? Then that's a rental. Okay, okay. that's what a normal rental is. But la at last checked, you know, when I when I'm renting, when I was on rent, you know, at last check, I don't think you know my landlord wasn't tucking me in at night and uh, and doing my laundry. You know what I mean? Or, or making breakfast know. for me. You, you never know. know. Hey, maybe, maybe some landlords are really nice. You know. <laughs> But but you know, I last check that the majority does that does not happen. Okay. okay? okay. So so if you're offering services on top of offering that space for rental, now chances are you're a business. 
you're no longer just a rental, okay? okay? So be very careful, okay? You have to really check and see, okay? Right. What type of services you're offering and what you're actually offering as yeah, far as a rental. what's included, right. What's included, right? Okay. So that's really, really important as far as that, okay? Okay. So that's that's the rental side of things, okay? So now, unfortunately, I don't have, you know, I don't have much to say as far as somebody who's just, you, you know, owning their own home, right? Right. You know, can I deduct uh, certain expenses, like for example, mortgage interest? Mm -hmm. Well, here you go. This is why you're listening to the podcast oh, right now. Okay. We give you these kind of advanced tips and tricks. Okay. All right. We're not just here to have conversation and talk about how old I am. All right. And that's not what they we're here. They already know how old you are. I know. I know. I mean, I don't want to. In the 50 to 65 bracket. Oh, wow. Ouch. I mean, I know, I know I'm losing my hair, but it's not that bad. You know, it's not that bad. You know, I still won't say what my age is, but. We'll keep <laughs> that to the last podcast. Well, yes, you're <laughs> Discover right. Discover Jerry's age. You're right. Or just try to guess it. We'll put a picture of myself or something with a big, big goofy smile and see what my age is, you know, but. Is there any other way that I could do something if, I, if it's just my principal residence? Right. Like if I just, you know, if I live in this house, let's say it's just a, a standard house that I live in, mm -hmm. can I deduct anything? Well, there is one way. Okay. Okay. And that way is what we call the re-advanceable mortgage. Okay. Okay. So a re-advanceable mortgage, what does it mean? Okay. So what it means is, you know, you buy your home with a financial institution, with a mm -hmm. bank, right? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, a mortgage broker, for example. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you borrow money, of course, to buy your home, right? So you have your mortgage interest, okay? Now, what the Reinvestable Mortgage allows you to do is that they create a parallel home equity line of credit, or what we know as a HELOC, okay? okay. You hear this a lot in, in the literature, in the, uh, what's called, in the financial literature, in a lot of financial blogs, you'll hear about this, the HELOC, or H-E-L-O-C, okay. home equity line of credit. Hmm. So they create a parallel one to your mortgage, uh, to, your, to, your, to your mortgage account, yes. okay? Every payment you make to your mortgage mm -hmm. will increase your limit of the home equity line of credit. Okay. Okay. So for example, if I, if let's say my, my, my mortgage payment is a thousand dollars a month. After two months, I've just created $2,000 of space in my home equity line of credit. Okay. Okay. So I've, I've increased my limit. Right. Now, what I can do is if now I borrow money mm -hmm. from this new home equity line of credit mm -hmm. and I invest in assets that make me money. Yeah. So for example, the typical example would be dividend paying stocks. Mm -hmm. right. Okay. So, but they have to, they have to pay me regularly though. Okay. It can't be, you know, your penny well, stock, right. you know, that, that you think is going to be a hot tip. You heard a hot <laughs> tip from some cousin's brother-in-law, you know, that told you, Oh, this, this thing's going to pop and right. I'm going to get a lot of money. That doesn't work. Okay? okay. It has to be good, stable names that pay you a regular dividend. Okay. Okay. Dividend meaning every three months, mm -hmm. the stock pays you a percentage of their profits. Okay. So as long as you invest in one of those stocks, well now your your uh, you know the interest that you're paying on the home equity line of credit is no longer a mortgage interest. It is an investment loan. Okay. And uh, and investment loans are deductible right. on your tax return. Win-win-win. Win-win-win, exactly. Now, of course, the big risk is remember that when you made your mortgage payment, you're out of debt for those two thousand dollars. Right. If you pull it out again on your home equity line of credit, you're in debt again. Right. Okay. okay. That's the catch. You don't want to go down that road. Exactly. And you want to make sure you invest in the right kind of stocks, right. you know, because if those stocks drop, you still got to pay. You still got to pay that home equity line of credit eventually, right? Okay. But what's nice about it is that you could build a portfolio mm -hmm. and have the government allow you to deduct your interest because now your mortgage interest has become investment loan interest. Right. You've converted your mortgage loan into an investment loan. And by doing that, now your investment loan becomes tax deductible. 
It's great. Yeah, it's great. So just remember that. Just so just remember, make your payments with your with this readvanceable mortgage. A lot of financial institutions offer it. Okay. They might not call it readvanceable mortgage, okay. but just talk to your investment advisor and they'll know right away when you mention that. Right. Okay. It's also commonly known as a Smith maneuver. Okay. okay? What I'm mentioning right now. Okay. This is, is very common knowledge of this. So you know, again, the process is get that readvanceable mortgage, mm -hmm. make your payments to your mortgage. Mm -hmm. Your your credit your credit your home equity line of credit limit goes up. Pull out of your home equity line of credit. Yeah. Invest in dividend paying stocks, mm -hmm. uh, dividend paying stocks, and deduct the interest that you're paying on your investment loan. Rinse, repeat, <laughs> and just keep doing this. It's a simple process. It's a simple process. Okay. Now the catch though yes. is that it cannot be a registered account, which means I can't. It can't be an RSP or a TFSA. Okay. In other words, when I buy the stock, it has to be outside of a registered account. All right. That's the catch. Okay. That that's it, which makes sense. Yeah. Okay? Which makes a lot of sense. I, the government is not going to allow me to deduct something in an account that's already tax free. Right. Okay? That's already tax deferred. Double right? dipping a little bit. I mean, bit. come on. You know, it's, it's not going to happen. <laughs> They're nice, know? but they're not that. Nice. They're not that nice, right? <laughs> So that's part of owning as well. Now, let's go to another aspect of owning. Okay. And this one, now we're going to go really complex. Okay. All right, hold on to your hats and, okay. to your, and in my case, to your hair. All right. <laughs> and now we're going to go into what we call the change of use. Okay. Okay. And these are example, you know, I've got my home mm -hmm. and I get this really great job in another city. Right. Okay. And now it's quick. I got to move pretty quickly. I don't have time to sell the house. Right. And maybe, I, you know what? I'm in a good part of the. I'm in a good part of town. Mm -hmm. I can rent it for really good money. Right. So in this case, I can I can do what we call a change of use, which is my home that was my my residence right. now becomes a rental. Okay. Okay. So in that case, unfortunately, what the income tax act will tell you is, in the change of use, you've got a disposition. You've essentially sold the property, even though. You have still have it. You still have it, right? right? And nobody gave you money for your property. Right. So I mean, now what? You know what gives? I gotta now declare a capital gain when in actuality nobody gave me any cash for my money <laughs> for for my house, right? Right. So what do I do? So this is where the change of use rules come in. Okay. And what the government says is they'll allow you to make an election. You send a letter to the government. Yeah. This is uh, if you want to go really technical, it's uh, it's uh, the Article of Law is forty five paragraph two. Okay. okay. So forty five. Get deep there. Very deep, but I think it's great. I think yeah. it's a nice tip, you know, for everybody. So under 45.2, you make the election, mm -hmm. okay? And what you're telling the government is that for the next four years, mm -hmm. even though I've changed the use of the property, I want to still consider my property as my principal residence, okay. as the home that I live in, and that's okay? Fair. And the reason why that's so important, and that's going to be the next part of this uh, podcast, is you can, you are now entitled to what's called the principal residence exemption. Okay. Okay, we're gonna get to that. That's a really big tax aspect of real estate, okay? Mm -hmm. We're gonna get to that in a few minutes. So once I change my use, I can still consider it as my principal residence. Okay. Because, because for those four years, I can exempt myself from having a taxable capital gain. Okay. And that's huge. And it's the same thing in reverse. Okay. In reverse, uh, if I've got a rental property and I decide, you know what, I'm moving in, mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, the, I, the renters are no longer there. I'm going to go move into the property. Now, again, I've got a change of use. I have a taxable transaction to declare. Right. But with the change of use rules, and this time it's under what we call paragraph 45.3. Okay. Going very technical here. <laughs> Hopefully I haven't bored you guys yet uh, <laughs> at this point. Okay. Then I can go retroactively back. Okay. And say from the year that I changed the use mm -hmm. and four years back, uh, or three years back really, 
then uh, the property was still my principal home, okay. even though I had rented the property. Okay. Right. So look into that. There's a lot of literature uh, on the web. Uh, what's called on the web about change of use rules. Okay. So so and, and we see this a lot, right? I mean, people who just move around because they see a better job yeah, somewhere, absolutely. right? They could go somewhere else or their dream location. You know, they could go you know to the big city if yep. they're if they're in a rural area. So just be aware that there are these kind of uh, exemptions that you can claim even though you have a taxable transaction okay, okay. even though the government expects that you're gonna pay tax they uh, they give you this kind of election mm -hmm. to exempt yourself from it okay so that's great I mean these yeah. are good news that you could use okay Absolutely. and so now we get to selling okay uh -oh. now I'm at the point where I say you know what I found a better property or I'm gonna I'm going to a new city and I'm selling my house okay yeah. the house that I live in right what happens then of course you have a, a you know taxable transaction and now we get into the capital gains. The moment you sell your home for a profit, mm -hmm. okay, it is to the government a capital gain. Okay. So normally you would pay a tax on the profit that you made on the home. So if you bought the home for two hundred thousand, yes, you sell it for three hundred, you have a hundred thousand dollar gain. Mm -hmm. So on, so so under the income tax act, that hundred thousand, fifty percent of it becomes taxable income on your return. Okay. which means for the year of sale, you got $50,000 of income that you have to declare. Wow. Still not that bad of a deal because 50% is in your pocket. Right. 50% of the profit, you just pocketed it. The other 50, you declare it as income with your employment income, your business income, and everything else. Okay. But uh -oh. now comes in, you know, really the, the great, uh, what's called, uh, again, the, uh, the great incentive that the government gives you mm -hmm. to own your own home. Okay. And that's which is the principal residence exemption. Okay, what does that mean? So what that means is if the home you're selling mm -hmm. is the home you live in, yes. you can sell it tax-free. Okay. You don't, so in that example that I gave, right. the $100,000 profit that I made on my home, yeah. guess what? I just pocketed 100% of that $100,000. I declare, I don't declare the gain any as any, any capital gain as income. Normally I would be required, if it was a stock mm -hmm. and I made that kind of profit, I would have to declare 50% of it as a capital gain. So I have to add add to my income. Right. With a principal residence exemption, I don't. Okay. okay. So that means I've got no income. I've got no income to include on the profit of the sale of my own home. Okay. Okay. The home that I lived in. Okay. My principal residence. Mm -hmm. But you have to declare, though, that transaction to the government with a specific form. Okay. And that's the T2091. Okay. okay, so our software, so, so you can produce this with our software, okay, yes. with a principal resident selection, okay, and the key is that with a 2091, you're declaring to the government that the gain you've made on the sale of your home is tax-free. Okay. Okay, that's what you're declaring to the government, mm -hmm. all right? And like I said, with UFAL, you can produce this form easily, okay? Yeah. Now, the key, though, is that you have to produce this form. Okay, it's mandatory. Form. It's mandatory. Okay. Since a couple of years ago, it, a few years back, you didn't have to declare this transaction if you were fully exempt. But now they want to know. Now they want to know that okay. it's there. If you don't tell them uh -oh. and they find out, yes. da, 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 <laughs> what happens then? Well, what happens is they'll charge you a penalty. I'm sure they will. Okay, and it'll be $25 per month up to $2,500 for the year. Okay. If you don't declare your exempted principal residence uh, principal residence 
you know, uh, what's called a transaction. So be honest, people, be honest. So be honest, because it would be really, it would really be a tragedy to lose out yeah. on this exemption that the government gives you for owning a home because you simply did not produce the form. And it's super easy to do. It's, it's really, it's, it's child's play. You're just declaring the dates mm -hmm. to the government uh, that, that, that it's a principal residence, okay? So the key is you have to declare this on your tax return. And this is also done on your Schedule 3. Okay. On Schedule 3, there's a section which declares the transaction, okay? Okay. So if you're fully exempt, in actuality, you're only really declaring your Schedule 3. If it's not fully exempt, for example, let's say it's the 50-50 rental and principal residence, right. uh, then you have to produce the T-2091, as they call it, or if you're not exempting all the years. Because right. the exemption is really an election. Mm. That's what the principal residence exemption is. By producing that form, you are exempting yourself from tax on that property. Right. Because here's the nice part about the principal residence exemption. Uh, the, the nice part is that the requirement that it is your principal residence is that you lived in it at one point in the year. Okay, so you could have had a different type of residence throughout the year. Right? Exactly. So okay. for example, let's say you've got, you know, you've got a chalet somewhere, okay? Mm -hmm. You've got, you know, uh, what's called, uh, you go, you know, you go Auto up, yep. you know, whatever it is, right? In that, in that scenario, you, believe it or not, if you sell your secondary home, mm -hmm. As long as you lived in it at one point in the year for all the years that you're exempting, you could actually exempt that secondary home. Oh, okay, wow. That's interesting, yeah, right? Absolutely. But oh, okay, as again. usual, I'm sorry, I'm not you're the government the people. Of bad news. I'm not the government people. All right. So if you don't like what I'm saying right now, take it up. Take it up with your MP. All right. Take it up with your local MP. All right. <laughs> well, that's the reality, right? Yeah, They're the ones yeah. who change the laws. Right. So, so the catch is you could only exempt one home per year. Okay. Okay, so if let's say you sold your chalet and you sold also your principal home, mm -hmm. well then you have to choose, all right, okay. which one you're gonna use for the exemption per year, okay? Right. That's the key, all right? So of course you're gonna take the one that made you the most profit. Of course. Obviously, okay? But again, just be aware though that the requirement is only you lived in it at one point in the year. Mm -hmm. So if you spend weekends, mm -hmm. okay, in your cottage, mm -hmm. if you spend weekends at this cottage, well, you're entitled to, 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 to declare this cottage as your principal residence you're allowed to do this because you lived in it at one point in the year. Okay, interesting. Okay, so, so it's an interesting aspect. And it really, it shows how the government is really pushing all of us to own homes. Right. Okay, they want these are the incentives that the government gives us mm -hmm. to own our own homes. So to sum up, as far as real estate, and we always, you know, we always summarize that one aspect. Right. Remember that when you sell your home, yes. you have to do the principal residence election. Okay. Don't assume, even if you're completely exempt, you have to file the forms. Right. Schedule 3 and your T2091. If you don't do this, penalties will ensue. And it would be a tragedy to pay penalties on something you're exempted on to begin with. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jerry, for all these wonderful tax tips. And hopefully your, our listeners have enjoyed it uh, for our third podcast. So stay tuned for next week. And thank you very much. Bye.